0: I'm Gaurav. And I'm Kevin. Welcome to Storytime. These are the episodes where we open the doors a little bit more and get a little bit deeper into who we are and the way storytelling affects us. To help us do that, we are joined by one of our favorite guests, a dear friend of the show, cognitive neuroscientist, and productivity expert, Dr. Sahar Youssef. So, let's get into our conversation where we completely lose all control in all the best ways.
1: This is an episode about nothing, for nothing, celebrating nothing. You'll see what I mean. Let's get started. We're so happy to be recording again. Um, and we're even happier that this time we have Dr. Sahar Yusuf coming back onto the show. So, so hard to start us off. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself what is your story and um, since we last met two years ago how has your story changed
2: oh fun i'm sure happy to uh my i'm excited to be back with you all um in short uh i am a cognitive neuroscientist i get the i have the distinct honor of doing translational neuroscience so looking at research done on the brain physiology uh, cognitive science, and then translating that specifically to how humans work. So to the world of productivity, the world of performance, and then also just how we live our lives on a daily basis and how we can live our best lives truly. And that's, uh, I have the distinct pleasure of doing that for a living. Uh, and uh, I'm always really happy uh, on a daily basis to be able to do that. Um, let's see. And what has changed? I will say, I mean, COVID changed a lot. It There is, you know, I went from what I study and what I do being a bit more esoteric, uh, a nice-to-have being a must-have for, for everyone in the world, it seemed like, internationally. And it didn't happen overnight, but it felt like it pretty much happened overnight. So the past few years have really been, uh, although I, I really hate using the word busy, um, but it's not even that it's busy. It's that there was a distinct focus on questioning how we go about doing things, one, and two, being open to reinventing ways of working that are adaptable, flexible, and more in line with how our brains and our bodies work best because we were noticing the ways we were working stopped working. People were burning out, not feeling great. Um, productivity was up, then it was down, then it was up, then it was down. It's It's complicated. So Our lab has been um, grateful to be able to assist a lot of organizations, uh, individuals, teams in updating their ways of working.
0: That's so exciting. Um, Yeah, we've followed your work since you were last on our show. So exciting to see all the stuff you've been doing, Radio Headspace, Section 4, all these really cool things that you've been doing to spread productivity and mental health across this really crazy time post-COVID as we adapt to different working environments and figuring out what's important to us. You know, I think something that's super interesting because when you were we were talking a little bit before the show about some cool ideas and thoughts about storytelling as a whole. And I've been thinking about how much our sto- how much our podcast has changed since we last talked. And a lot of that is to do with the conversation we had and it's a big thing about our early guests, especially our first 20 to 15 or so. Our early guests shaped so much of the show because I think one of the things Kevin and I came into the show with was we have no idea what we're doing. We are not expert storytellers. We are here to learn, right? We are here to say, hey, this is something we know is important. We're lacking in it. How can we learn? And we came from it in a very business perspective. Like it was very much like marketing and um, data analytics and presentations and interviewing. And then we started slowly starting with you and then Dr. Andrea Lemendi L- L- having mental health professionals on the show. And that's when the show morphed into a key tenant of the show being the stories we're telling ourselves. Right? That's become a key tenant over our last two years because of people like you who've kind of really opened the eyes to us say, hey, negative self-talk is a thing. Stories we tell ourselves is a thing. We are shaping our perceptions of the world. And it's something I work a lot on individually in therapy, and it's making that connection to storytelling has been so key. So I just want to, I just, I don't, I don't know if there's a question here, but it's just a, it's just kind of this commentary on how much we've grown uh, because of people like you who came and opened the eyes to how important storytelling is internally.
2: Yes, um, I do think that there's there's a question here and the question, we can start high level and drill down because I can tell you the field of the science of productivity is riddled with stories, believe it or not. And well, first we can attack one that is near and dear to my heart and near and dear to the work of our lab, um, which is colloquially called the Becoming Superhuman Lab. And I will say that even the name in and of itself ought to be questioned. And the really this this concept of superhuman is in and of itself, there's a story there. So let's start with that story because there's actually no such thing that, the, of superhuman. Superhuman just means accepting and embracing all of the ways in which we are actually human, one and two reading the blueprint for what it means to be human in the first place so to become superhuman is to stop pretending like we're machines that we need a, that we are able to even run 24/7 that we can plug into the wall not have off times or not have rest times but it's pausing and actually reading that blueprint and then working in line with our brains and bodies and our biology and not against it. So there's a story there, this concept of superhuman. Everyone wants to be superhuman. What drugs do I need to be taking? What nootropics can I throw at this problem? It's like, there's no problem. We're working against the system. So if you even take a step back and think of um, even systems engineering, systems neuroscience, systems biology, there is, in fact, systems here at play. We need to study the systems and work in line with the system if you want the whole thing to operate efficiently and effectively. If you're going to work against the system, we're going to have issues. And this is what we're dealing with, I think, as a society as a whole here. So superhuman is really defined as embracing all of the ways in which we are human, one. And two, to become, by the way, there's a reason why our lab is not called superhuman. And a lot of folks actually were like, oh, what, you know, like why add this, like what is this extra word about, you know? Or why not, why isn't it called become superhuman? Because aren't you helping people become superhuman? It's like, ah, there's a story here as well. We do not, it's not gestalt. You don't just achieve, uh, for example, even you can think of us from a theological standpoint, achieve enlightenment or nirvana, right? Mm -hmm. It is a process. It is a journey. It is a lifestyle. It's a dedication to becoming. And becoming is a very important word to our ethos and philosophy as well, because we do not achieve and end with achieving. It is always about questioning the status quo, always about being a student every single day, asking yourself, what could I be doing better? What is it that I need? And being adaptable, because there is no one size fits all, truly. And I think you all really know that. And I think your podcast and all of the beautiful folks that you've collected and the stories that you've been able to um, give light and a platform has been able to show that there's no one story that we are collections and a quilt work of so many different stories. So I was going to start there is that in general, the science of productivity, one story is that we think that we're going to achieve something and it's gestalt. Like I'm going to get there. And then once I get there, once I, once I achieve X, then I will be satisfied, happy in all of these things. And that's already a false, illusory story. Right, because the goalpost keeps keeps moving. I'm actually curious to know how you all feel about this, because you're early on in your career. I don't know if you've experienced this yet, but this is a it is an experience almost fundamental to human psychology, and that is that if you are very, very deliberately goal oriented, almost obsessively all about accomplishment and a goal and the outcome, oh my dears, the goalpost keeps moving. You're just gonna you're gonna get close to it. The moment you achieve, it's like, well, what's next? So knowing that there's this insatiable desire for the next, the next, the next, and more and more, you have to change the story. You have to be intentional about the story that you tell yourself. Otherwise, you're going to get caught in that hamster wheel.
0: You hit so many of my buzzwords there. And, and there's that one little blurb. Um, Kevin knows I can talk about this for years. Uh, <laughs> this is something I struggle with. This is a huge part of like my own therapeutic journey. And something I've been dealing with for a long time is this idea of moving the goalposts. the idea of once I accomplish something, my brain goes to what's next, right? It's always been the case. And it's been a big thing about celebrating the the things, like celebrating the wins and reveling in it a bit, because I'm always, it, it's just so many different facets to it. But for me, I'm very competitive. So I'm always looking at the other people, which is not healthy, but always looking at, it's not even people in my circle, it could be LinkedIn, it could be all these different platforms, especially because how the internet works. It's so easy to find someone like that. And obviously you're looking at their life in a two-dimensional way, but you've created a narrative and a story about that person. You're like, okay, I'm competitive against this person. There's always looking at the next thing because there's always more you can do. And then I have a lot of issues with all or nothing thinking, where at one time I'm like, there's 20,000 things I want to do, If I go to bed at the end of the day and I'm like, I accomplished a bunch of stuff, but I didn't accomplish everything because it's impossible to, (laughs) I get stuck in this loop, uh, which is something I'm actively thinking about and actively fighting against because it is that productivity story, right? It is the story I'm telling myself that I'm like, oh, I didn't do enough. Oh, this person's doing this. Oh, yada, yada.
2: Completely. I actually wanted let's double click if if we may into something that you said that I think is beautiful and absolutely endemic to the human experience. I think if you speak to especially knowledge workers, and this is uh, starting from being students all the way to folks well seasoned in their careers. I'm talking executives, CEOs, um, running you know Fortune 100 companies. This is we're all having the same experience over here and. I think that the word that I would love to focus in on that, um, Guav you, you, you use beautifully enough. This concept of enough and the stories we tell ourselves about accomplishment, progress, and enough. So I actually, let's continue to sort of drill into this because I think there's actually quite a few stories we can tell here. First of all, and I think maybe we all need to like brace ourselves here. I mentioned this on uh, Radioheadface as well recently. And I got like a lot of like emotional, let's call them. It's not hate mail. It's not love mail. It's emotional <laughs> mail. Maybe that's what we should have called. That's maybe what that's really what email needs to stand for. Oh it's God, just yes. emotional mail. It's not electronic. <laughs> it's e-mail. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, emotional mail, when I, you know, very um, matter of factly said, you will never finish your to-do list, period. Period point blank, you're never going to finish that thing. It's the backlog. It's the backlog. You know, if you're Mm -hmm. an engineering background, fine. Call it your Jira, you know, Asana, like whatever it is. It's your backlog. It's where all it's the icebox. It's where all the crap lives. The stuff that you might should like do. Maybe today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week. Maybe next month. I know folks have that experience of like that thing, that one aspirational thing, and it's usually like something learning related that's not urgent, right? that ends up, it's just like, it's like a, it's like a rolling stone that rolls from one day or one week to the next week. And it's just there aging, like fine wine on your to-do list. And it's like three months old and it's just sitting there collecting dust. And you're just like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's important. I got to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So you keep just like rewriting it from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. But I think an important statement to begin with here is that you will never finish your to-do list ever because of this, also this, 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 not just the story, but this reality of human psychology that we keep moving the goalpost. meaning the moment you start to even get close to finishing the thing, you will add more to it. And this is particularly true for high performers and high achievers. We're sort of almost in a way addicted to the process of, uh, of task accomplishment and task completion. It is where, unfortunately, from early childhood experiences where many folks get feelings of belonging feelings of safety and feelings of worthiness. I mean there's like 15 stories to talk to your therapist about there. But if you if that resonates with you, then it's really important to sit with this fact that you're never going to finish that to-do list. Knowing that every single day when you wake up, I think it's of utmost importance to pause and ask yourself, what's going to be enough today? Because if you're just relying on, if your system, if I'm going to go back to systems here, if you're relying on the system of basic, super basic task management and to-do lists, like it's like, here's my, my massive list, and it's got everything on it, little things, big things, medium-sized things, it's all there, you will never feel good. You might as well just throw in the tab, I mean, you will never feel good wait until retirement, and then, then you're just going to be very confused because you won't know where to get your dopamine anymore if you've just been obsessed with task you know, completion and accomplishment there. But point here is that we need to redefine. We need to redefine what success looks like on a daily basis because it cannot, in fact, be completion of that massive list. So I want to talk about stories here again because there's, the to-do list is telling a story. It is a representation of all the things that ought to be done, could be done, and should be done, period. That's the story there. Your to-do list is that. How the heck is that useful on a daily basis? We need to tell another story. You need a daily story to keep your mental health in check and also keep you keenly aware of and focused on the most high leverage items on that list so that you're cranking on the things that actually will move the needle forward. So I wanna push us all to consider, we have our big story, that's the to-do list. That's essentially like a... um, Another way to think of it might be uh, state of the union <laughs> on, on like life and all of your life categories, you know, personal life, uh, physical health, uh, personal relationships, work, longer term career, right? That's maybe like learning and networking, all of it. It's just, it is a quilt work of the state of the union of your life at this, at this moment in time. That's not, and let's say, for example, you have an hour to do something in pursuit of that life snapshot, that quilt work. You're not looking at that whole thing because that is not a representation of what you're going to do in that hour. So instead, I want folks to get used to telling micro stories and mini stories. You need a story for your day, and the big thing that we usually and we've done we've done many different uh, iterations uh, studies uh, in both um, folks in sales, engineering, wide variety of different uh, functions, and the the sentence that seems to trigger this best in people is the following sentence. What will your future self thank you for. So you at 8 a.m., I want you to think about yourself at 8 p.m. What things do you need to prioritize and accomplish today? What things need to be top of mind in order for you to actually feel accomplished by evening, by, by the end of the day, so that you actually feel like enough occurred so that you can actually transition to your mental health your physical health, your personal life, and all of that. Because in my experience working with folks, especially high achievers around the world, knowledge workers, we're living in this world where it's 24-7, and you could be working and you could be cranking on that to-do list from the moment you wake up to the moment you fall asleep. So there's this option and this possibility of if the story I'm telling myself is success equals finishing everything, then every possible waking second of my life is a potential opportunity to continue to work on that and to pursue that fundamental goal. However, if you say that that is not the goal anymore, I'm making a new story and a new goal. And the goal is, what does success look like for me today? What will my future self thank me for today? Then you're, what you're doing is you're actually saying, I just need to get X and Y done today and also hit the gym for 30 minutes and call you know that one friend of mine and have a catch-up call later tonight. Those four items are what success looks like for me today. It's not the entire list. I just need to accomplish those four items and I'm done. It is enough. Then that becomes the new story. And as long as you can try to get those things done, ah, you finally get that sense of exhale and accomplishment that all of us are looking for.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, first of all, I love how many times you used the word story in that. It's amazing. We didn't pay her <laughs> to say that. Uh, but no, this is exactly why we expanded this show, especially in season two, to say, uh, unlock the power of storytelling. It used to be business, careers, and life, and now it's business, careers, mental health, and life, right? Because we this internal storytelling has been huge for us because I think you you hit so many amazing things there. about. It's about reframing. It's about sitting down, reframing, repriming. Well, we prioritizing, but reframing what success looks like because I think you, we were talking a lot about the word enough, but the word another word that hits me a lot and that you mentioned too was should, like should have done this, I should mm. have done this, and it's this process I've been going through a lot about being like, well, if I could have made a different decision in the time, I would have, right? I've been going through this process of forgiving my past self and understanding like everyone's just trying to survive, right? And just taking that lens and being like, okay, what can I accomplish? What what would make me happy? What will fulfill me in different ways? And being like, I need to sleep still. <laughs> I need to get outside still. There are things that are energizing me that I can't put on a resume, right? And reframing that importance of being like, okay, I'm who I am now, and like, what's what should what should I what can I do, right? It's that it's that fight, and it's a story in my head where it's like. A lot of it comes down to negative self-taught that I just need to tone down because this idea of should have or the infinite to-do list or the 12 courses I want to take online or the book I want to read or studying for the GMAT, which has been a whole thing for me. But like understanding that some days it's just about making progress and getting up and trying your best for well, all days. <laughs>
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. I can't. I can't agree with that enough. Yeah, Kevin, you were gonna chime in. Oh yeah,
1: I was just gonna say. You know, your point about kind of managing our expectations to with uh, what's enough, uh, both short term and long term, is so important because I think oftentimes too, what we try to do when we set the bar for enough too high is that we get so intimidated by all the things we want to set out to do that it just paralyzes us. We don't end up actually doing anything. And we, of course, always have this obsession with being productive, um, which, you know, uh, if you know more about it, we'd love to get into the kind of neuroscientific details behind that as well. Because, uh, Garth, I remember two weeks ago when we um, very happily got through so much of the productive work for this podcast... And at the end of the day, when you and I met up, you told me, I give this Saturday an 8 out of 10. Which, the more I think about it, the can more-
0: 8? And we can debate this later, but I think what I exactly <laughs> said, I said, I, I give I give today a really strong rating or whatever, because yeah. uh, selfishly, it felt really productive. And I, I think I pointed it out at the time that that's not a great way to rate my day. But um, I I got that like boost of like, wow, we just did a lot today. Um, I remember that same weekend and we should ask a question, but that same weekend I had gone through a lot of my financial stuff and like organized a lot of my financials. And I'm like, wow, super productive. Did not need to do this this weekend. I had 12 other things, but just doing it was productive. And I'm like, that felt good, even though this is not the way.
1: But yeah, that was a funny way of describing Saturday, but I felt that too because even on weekends, when I guess supposedly we're supposed to, you know, rest and relax, I still, a part of me still feels like I should be doing something. Right. So, yeah, that's just an, a very interesting observation uh that kind of stems from the, the point you just make about, you know, what is enough, redefining that story.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's also cultural, I will say. These conversations are. It's these conversations are um, so, so common. I have noticed when speaking to Americans, (laughs) (laughs) our culture is steeped in the word should and accomplishment and just the the, just the, the, the act of doing, I'll say. We ought to be doing something. We should be doing something even when folks are doing nothing and you see somebody doing nothing, we question it. I've noticed this because I've noticed this even um, uh, sitting on campus. I've actually had um, two former students and a colleague. So these are, I have like a head count going right now that in the past year, you catch Sahar staring off at Lord knows what, a tree, whatever, a building, it doesn't matter. I'm just staring off doing what looks like nothing because it is people will be concerned. <laughs> For us, culturally, that looks concerning. It looks like maybe you need help, that something is wrong, um, because we're not actively doing something. Even many times I've noticed when we are in the pursuit of rest, and and, and hear my language that I'm using here, which is also very Americanized, which is you know, in part, it is in fact also a great part of my own personal culture, right? Being born and raised in the States. Uh, I am pursuing rest. I am prioritizing self-care. Like, right, these are like the, the I've heard these like headlines almost. Uh, we, are, we are actively putting rest in the same almost algorithm as, or in the same structure as, the, as doing and accomplishment. So we need to check a box in the pursuit of self-care. We have a, a list of ten different activities that give us energy and uh, that and, and and you know allow us to rest that make us feel good. So then we ask ourselves this weekend: How many of these activities did you do? Did you go for a walk or a bike ride? Uh, did you check that box? Did you go to the farmer's market? Did you check that box? Like you know, what are the what are the things that I did? Again, it's we're still even when it comes to to rest, we are pursuing doing things that give us rest. And I think that is really one of the threads that we could pull on as a society, to say, what if we removed outcome from rest and we removed outcome from doing nothing? I will say another phrase I recently heard an executive mention to me in conversation um, after a talk I gave in New York City. Um, I get off stage and uh, and he says to me, I really need to schedule some, some just like nothing off the grid time for myself. I think there's a lot I need to learn. Hold on. Why not just do nothing and learn nothing? What if we did nothing and got nothing out of it? That's kind of the like, and I know that that might even like stress somebody out to hear. What if you took an entire day? did, grab is raising his uh, yes, hand. What if you did nothing, right? During the day and you got nothing out of it, meaning I learned nothing. You know, like, cause I will know, I've noticed that we've created this fantasy. It's almost like we used to, by the way, 10, 15 years ago, people were talking a lot about productivity porn. And I know that's like a very uh, provocative statement in and of itself, but it's this articles, blog posts, Podcasts, uh, Instagram profiles, and uh, you know all of it. Just this uh, memes, all about the topics related to productivity, related to efficiency. What's the best way to do this? What's the best way to blah blah? The morning routine, I think, is a really like you know super popular one. Everybody like wanted some some form of productivity porn related to like the ideal morning routine for the for the for the optimized human, right? what are we doing to have the best, you know, to set yourself up for success? You're waking up at five and doing all these things, right? Okay. I think now we've seen a bit of a shift in society actually. And now I'm seeing a lot of rest porn. (laughs) I'm seeing a lot of folks like, and it's like people with, you know, uh, who have a platform are saying like, you know what I do to, I'm getting to seven to nine. It's like, all of a sudden it's become sexy and 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 and, and you're showing off your status in a way by how you rest. Are you able to hit the gym and do your exercise? Um, are you doing the yoga and the meditation? I meditate every day. I'm doing this, I'm resting at, in all of these ways, but we've taskified rest too. It's become outcome focused.
0: And it's become a competition. <laughs> and it's become a
2: competition. Go oh, off coming in with the with the competitive yeah, yeah, angle to this. Totally, it's become a competition. So I'm I'm urging everyone that listens to your podcast right now all of us what happens if we say I'm going to do I'm going to do this rest thing and I will do nothing but I will achieve nothing Everyone wants to take their free time and say like, "Oh, it was amazing! I had this idyllic Saturday. I woke up, I meditated, I I, sl- I slept enough, I caught up on my sleep, I exercised, I read a book, and I learned X, Y, and Z. You know, like I'm nourishing my mind, I'm nourishing my body, my so all of these things. What if you did none of that? You did jack shit. How about you just like lay on the couch and like literally absorb into nothingness, and you got nothing out of it? You did learn nothing. Nothing got nothing. No boxes got checked. And sit with that. And I know it will make folks uncomfortable. It's made me uncomfortable before. But I think it's an interesting, again, story and a thread to pull on where we start to unravel the story we also tell, tell ourselves about rest and how rest must give us something in return. Hey, body, I'm going to give you rest. But you know what I want back? I want energy so that I can do more. The, the story is that rest ought to be restorative and we ought to get some outcome from it. What if, what if we didn't?
0: I'm obsessed with this <laughs> because <laughs> this is, this is like giving me so many weird feelings. Um, and it's, it's totally thrown this conversation on its head for me, but um, it's because this is so counterintuitive to me because I, Kevin and I have this conversation a lot with just life where I hate not learning things from things. Like I hate going through anything without learning from it, where I will run myself into pretzels to try to find the learning so i'm like oh, oh i have to go for that to learn that thing to make myself feel good about it right mm-hmm. and so like even if rest i'm like okay uh the worst thing for me to do is sit on the couch and be like oh these are the things that i do so i said, schedule in rest so i can do the rest so I can make really check right and i think about the weekends i'm like oh okay, these are the check things so i can if someone asks me what did you do this weekend i can list the 12 things and make like, i got the rest and it's gotten competitive and i can say i did the thing and it's almost like there's so much validation I'm looking for uh, from doing these things where it's like, I'm looking for someone to like, perfect. You did the right amount of rest. You did everything perfectly. Good job. Like I want a list. Right. And yeah. So this the idea of that's, I, that's, that's, it's, it feels so foreign to be like, what if I just did nothing and looked for nothing from that? Not like this is going to prepare me for my week. This is what I needed. Like, that's so weird. Oh, I don't even know. I, and it's something, it's so, it feels so easy. It's something I can say, oh, yeah, that's something I'm going to do. But then, like, it feels like that. I, I don't know how, like, going out of that, being like, oh, I don't, is that me? I'm so <laughs> flipped on this.
2: It just means I think we're steeped in the culture of accomplishment, mm-hmm. task orientedness, outcome orientedness. We are steeped in it so much so. And I've said this about some other things um, as it relates to systemic things, cultural things. It's like wearing rose colored glasses that are completely like duct taped to your face. Like it's very hard to divorce some of these mindsets and beliefs. You know, from the ways in which we do things, because they're just so uh, we're steeped in it. As I as I mentioned before, it's it's hard. So don't you know? And, and it's I, I'm I'm on this path with you. I have to say, it is a newer concept for me in the past couple of years to re- try to, desperately to remove outcome from the pursuit of some things. Uh, it's, it's tricky. Things that have helped me in this pursuit, do something that helps you rest knowing that the outcome will go in the garbage can. And I know that sounds a little funky, but it, it's, um, I'm thinking of physical accomplishments. So for example, you might want to draw or paint and you're not drawing or painting to get better at it. You're not drawing or painting in order to have an outcome as in like, look, I did this thing and I have something to show for it. And maybe now I'll give it to a friend. I'll give it to my mommy. I will put it up on the wall. I will. This is a marker of what I accomplished. You're literally doing it to throw it away. And by the way, if you're wondering where this concept comes from, and I'm sure most folks are familiar with the concept of a Zen garden, there is much, right? There is a lot already there in the pursuit of something, the dedicated, tireless pursuit of something that is in fact by nature temporary, that it just goes away. And a lot of emotions, going back to the like emotional mail, <laughs> a lot of feelings will come up when you start to do these kinds of things um, that just have no outcome and no goal, nothing to learn. And you're just like, what? It's painful in the beginning, but keep keep at it. And you will start to notice, I think, a shift in your mindset. And that shift, I assure you, will give you something and now i'm like i'm almost like pr- i'm promising that it will in fact give you something i'm saying don't do something and you'll get something from it so maybe this is I'm, it's counterintuitive but just stick with it and see what happens let me just put it that way
1: <laughs> damn uh, i want to thank you sahar for practically i think validating uh, the life habits i've been trying to build kind of because i there are moments where I just want to, like, do something just for the sake of it, or, you know, not trying to achieve anything out of it, just kind of doing nothing. And I feel strange sharing that with people. Um, Like, take an example would be for the four years of my uh, UCLA undergrad life, my favorite thing to do was, when I'm in between lectures, I would just go to the there's a pretty beautiful lawn on our campus and i would just go and sit or lie down i could have been doing some homework i could have been doing the assigned reading um i felt like i should have uh, i should be doing that while i was there but you know part of me just feel like i needed to be doing nothing otherwise i could not go on with my day and I also feel felt impulse to tell people that that was what made the college experience worthwhile for me. The moments that I did nothing, but it felt weird to describe that every time it came out of my mouth because how, how do you quantify that the the you know what that can bring you, right? Uh, especially you know I'm an international student. Um, you know my parents, of course, brought me with a lot of resource coming here to study. I feel like I should be achieving something. That's something I can't quantify, but I really did feel like it helped me. But I think the, the discussion we're having right here really helped me validate that for myself. And hopefully a lot more people can benefit from, you know, the story we try to redefine here as well.
2: Actually, Kevin, if I can chime in, and this is, this is not, necessarily squarely uh, a a scientific commentary, but in my experience and in looking at some of the research, uh, it has become clear to me that children of immigrants have a very distinct struggle with this, this relentless pursuit that begins from even, it feels like before my eyes are even open after the alarm comes (laughs) off. And it never really ends. And I think that there is some truth to inheriting much of this. Because if you think about the type of personality and character that it takes for someone in one country, let's call it country A, to say, no, this is also not enough. I would like to go from A to B and we will do whatever it takes, go through whatever obstacles, and it's not enough. And then you pass that on, of course, if not culturally, most definitely genetically, to your offspring. And I've noticed in the United States, children of immigrants have a very distinct difficulty with achievement and performance. Where if you remove outcome, I think we feel very lost. It's like grow well, up. It's like I don't like. I, it's making me uncomfortable. I don't know how to feel about it and i can tell you for me as a child of immigrants it's that was definitely the case it just feels <sighs> like that that just that exhale of like i what what do you mean i can't possibly waste a day <laughs> because it's waste mm-hmm. if yeah. i have not learned something mm-hmm. then what is the point of me and i think that that is unfortunately the deeper stories that's the deep 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 story that Either comes from how we were raised as children, or in many ways now, our understanding, by the way, of how uh, genetic information and some of these uh, predispositions uh, actually can be, by the way, inherited multi-generationally. So there's there's this uh, interesting dance of both uh, nature and nurture here when it comes to the pursuit. And it's like, by the way, what we're talking about here is your relationship with your to-do list. Like I don't want folks to think like we've now gone off the deep end and we're talking about like deep Freudian, like no, 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 no. <laughs> we're still talking about productivity here. And I'm saying that there is a special story that I've noticed with second-gen, you know, t- children of immigrants or you're an immigrant yourself, right? There is a special story that we might be telling ourselves about where our worthiness comes from and earning rest and also the outcome-focusedness of rest, is that there's all there's this like payment process. Like I will rest because the rest will allow me to achieve. And when I rest, I need to get something from that, like as in more energy, learning, and ability to achieve. And then I go towards achievement and I need to be getting things, I need to be learning and achieving. It's, all, it's it, it never really stops until we start to question that story that I ought to be accomplishing in order to be worthy um and that's i think a, it's a that's a deeper story that's like completely tied in with you know who we are as humans
0: no but i i just resonated with that so heavily too like um so kevin and i neither of us are from this country but i'm from canada so it, it's very westernized the cultural shift wasn't huge but still moving countries my all my grandparents are from different parts of india um uh, so going through a lot of that and my my grandfather's an entrepreneur he built the family business, but there is this this sense of achievement that is so important in my family, right? This sense of like earning it of fighting for it and like uh, not wasting time. I think wasting time is one of my, and we, I think we even talked this last time, but it's one of my biggest things. It's one of my things. It's like, I hate that idea of like, I could have done this. I could have done this. I should have. And it's, you're right. It's this relationship for to-do list and this idea that even when I'm resting, there's a point when I'm meditating, there's a point. And Kevin, you mentioned validation earlier. And I said this as well, this idea of like, I want someone to validate it. And like, even when we talk about like Instagram self-help and tying it back to kind of rest porn, it's this idea that, oh, I'm supposed to get up at five, drink a ton of water, do yoga, meditate, run for a mile, come back, clean my room, do my bed, which I don't do because I think that's ridiculous, Um, (laughs) clean my apartment and then start work. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and it's only when I feel like that's the problem. When I see new things, I'm like, no, no. Cause then I'm not doing enough. It's just all these stories about what we should be doing from our families, from West Point, and, and it's just that's search from someone to tell me you're doing a good job. Thank you. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
2: I'm, gonna ask a I'm gonna ask you guys a question.
0: <laughs> of course. I don't know if we've asked any questions.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What, I mean, oh, how about this? The question I'm going to ask you, I'll answer myself as well. What has helped you all, if anything, define what success looks like on a daily basis and define enough for you on a daily basis so that you can actually turn off guilt-free and potentially do nothing. What has helped? Because, as I mentioned before, the, the research, by the way, on to do lists is, is sort of abysmal on their own as, as a standalone tool to help with, again, prioritization. Um, and of course, to help with goal pursuit. Uh, that's also been shown to be bad. And, and by the way, actually, if I can, I'll, I'll harp on this a little bit longer while you all are thinking about what's helped you you know achieve this um, for yourselves if you have a good tool or a system in mind. But Kevin also talked about he was describing procrastination which is the avoidance of doing really really big things and i want to demystify that for a second and procrastination is by the way not in fact a time management issue and i think many times it's treated as such in the media procrastination is actually like the root cause of procrastination and that research the some of those seminal studies uh, actually uh, started uh, being published around the mid 1990s in 19, 1995 97 on the topic of procrastination, and procrastination is caused by something called emotional misregulation. It means you're feeling something. And typically the feelings that you are feeling are overwhelm, fear and anxiety, and hear me out here, I am not enough in this moment compared to the task in front of me. So you have something big. Really, really big. Like let's say coming up with strategy for your podcast for Q4. And then you wake up on a Friday and you're like, okay, that's got to get done. And then you have this moment where you're like, I don't want (laughs) to. Right? Like I don't want to do it right now. Like I, you know what? Let me, and then you, what do you end up doing? You end up checking email. You send a couple texts. You read an article. You're like in Reddit, like Twitter. You start consuming content and kind of like doing small things. This is usually what high performers experience. This is called strategic procrastination, right? You start doing little things to avoid the big things. Now I need, if you're experiencing that, you need to pause for a second and hear me out here. What is happening is that you have a feeling. You may not recognize that you have a feeling because you're such a high achiever and we have a twisted relationship with our feelings, but pause and what you are experiencing in fact is overwhelm. And the way that I've always uh, described this is with a visual image. And that visual image is that of a scale, an old school scale, where you are, you have weight on one side and the other, and you're kind of balancing them out. On one side of the scale is your feelings about yourself. It's your your identity. It's your self-esteem, right? As in the the true definition of self-esteem, which is my ability to do things. What is my assessment? How heavy am I in this moment as a human being? How heavy is Sahar? Sahar is on one side of the scale. The task is on the other side. Q4 strategy for the podcast, mm, that's big. In this moment, I don't feel like I'm heavy enough. So what's happening is the other side of the scale is too heavy. That task, Q4 strategy for the podcast is big and heavy, and I feel lighter. And if that's the case, by the way, you're not going to do it. You're going to go do lighter <laughs> things. You're going to chuck this and you're going to go, okay, well, what about answering that email? Woo, that's nice. Okay. Actually, I'm heavier than that. I can do that. I have a long successful history of answering fast emails. I can do that. So then you start cranking through small things. And and then like, so right, that's a bit of procrastination is, is when you're actually doing quote productive procrastination, which is I'm still doing things that are technically quote unquote productive. I'm just avoiding the big thing. Fine. But there's also other things that we sometimes do, right? Think especially when we're students and when we're younger. And there's not that many little things for us to do. What do we start doing? We're like, I'm going to get a snack. I'm going to make myself a sandwich. I need a cup of coffee. Let me let me like assemble myself. Like I need to, hold on, let me clear off my desk. I'm going to sharpen my pencils. I have no idea, by the way, if anyone's ever using pencils anymore, but this is what I would do. It's like, you know, back in the day, it's like, you know, I'm going to like set up my tools. I'm going to set up my environment. I'm going to like, so you're trying to create, and this, by the way, the root cause of this is perfectionism, which we can have a whole nother podcast on the science of perfectionism and the stories we tell ourselves there. But what you're telling yourself there, the story there is I am not enough. I am not enough for the big thing. So I start making myself heavier by adding on bullshit to my side. A cup of coffee, a glass of tea. Um, Let me do this. Let me do this other thing. Let me send one more text. Let me like clear off my desk because I on my own, Sahar on her own is not heavy enough for the task. So I need to add stuff to my side to make myself heavier to take on the task. That's, by the way, just pause the easiest way, the most efficient way of making this scale balanced out, make that thing smaller. Who the heck wants to come up with Q4 strategy for the podcast straight out the gate? That is big. That is vague. What's step one? Break it down. Really, it's just about breaking it down. And all of this has to do with dopamine and how dopamine works in the brain and the basal ganglia. So what you need to do is you need to get enough dopamine to go after that task. And Dopamine by the way is so often considered like about reward and pleasure when it's actually I think more importantly related to motivation. It's motivating task pursuit or goal pursuit. It is if you have a promise of dopamine, then you're gonna, your brain's gonna give you lots of dopamine to go after the task. So you need to make sure that you've got enough dopamine to go after the task. If something is big and vague and huge like Q4 strategy for the podcast, I have no idea when I'm going to get that dopamine. I have no idea when task completion is going to happen. But if you tell me, make a Google Doc in the same structure as our previous Q3 strategy for the podcast, like let's just just like literally do some formatting. I'm going to make a new Google Doc. I'm going to name it. I'm going to format it. That's step one. That I can see a beginning and an end to that. And that's light enough on that scale where I go, oh, okay, I have enough dopamine to go after that. And you go after it and you accomplish that and you go, cool, what's the next mini step? That's going to take me 10, 15 minutes. And you just keep going after these things. So that's the story really about, it's like breaking down the story we tell about ourselves and the tasks in front of us. And that's the real science of procrastination. It has nothing to do with like time blocking or like I'm not managing my time properly. It's actually just about self-esteem and breaking things down so that you're optimizing for dopamine and optimizing for motivation for task completion based on how you feel about yourself and the task and the and the perceived weight of, of, of either.
0: Yeah, Kevin and I are huge <laughs> overachieving perfectionists. And the podcast was a huge thing for us because if you listen to our first few episodes, it, trash audio wise amazing guests amazing quality we knew we had something there but audio
1: was just terrible we have mental blocks for listening back
0: (laughs) yeah we have real trouble listening back it's really hard for us but i remember something we said to ourselves when we started is like we're gonna set dates and we're gonna release episodes on these dates um and no matter what we're gonna get something out and we're just gonna keep doing that because we knew because we knew each other we're like if we try to make this perfect it's never coming out right Because perfect doesn't exist. That's a story. That's a story that we see people like, that's a perfect person. But that's a story worth telling ourselves about that person. Most of the time, they're not saying this was perfect, right? And I think another big example for me was the GMAT, which I've mentioned a couple uh, before. Kevin knows I've talked about this a lot, where I really struggled to do it because I hated it with a burning passion. It was not only a task I had to get done or I wanted to get done. It was something I hated with a burning passion, right? Um, I hated everything about it. And what helped me with that was one, reframing the story about it, like, okay, well, there is stuff about this that makes sense. There's ways to tackle this. Like, it's not the enemy. But the biggest thing that helped me was setting deadlines, like actually booking the exam mm-hmm. and being okay, so there's a date and then breaking it down. So I think with both the podcast and the GMAT example, I think approaching it in a way that on the same perfection doesn't exist. Setting in clear dates and breaking it down. That's something that's helped me to answer the question.
2: That's awesome because that—that that is in line with what we were just talking about, right? You're making big things small is really – there's the story. Make the big things small. Make them accessible to you so that you do not – you're not essentially afraid of pursuing them, Right? I love that. Mm. What about you, Kevin? What's helped you in the pursuit of figuring out what enough looks like on a daily basis and helping you go after whatever it is that you need to accomplish?
1: Well, I think what you described there about kind of breaking down big tasks uh, helps definitely in my case. Um, And one like easy example would be just the editing uh, of our podcast, um, because, you know, it's a long conversation. We want to put a lot of thoughts into that. It easily becomes like this gigantic task for me, um, particularly because how like detail oriented Let's let's just say I try to be. So what I ended up doing was, you know, we have smaller segments. uh, So I would try to start out from there and by accomplishing those smaller things, it gives me enough, um, I guess, weight on my end of the balance. Uh, to go go on and tackle the rest of the episode, and also I think uh, a lot of the stuff that we do, we don't do it alone. We usually work on projects, you know, with other people. So during that process, um, you know, I think it, it really helps to give each other validation and support by, you know, just communicating what we see each other has achieved and what we've achieved together already. And that, I think, really helped uh, just between me and Grov throughout, you know, over two years of the podcast by celebrating amongst ourselves how much we've achieved. It gives us motivation to, you know, go on and try to tackle uh, bigger things that that we have planned.
2: That's awesome. I love that. And I think that that is a great advice for anyone who's listening as well. The bigger the deal you make, Meet like task accomplishment or achievement, you make a really big fuss about how you feel about yourself as a, as a human afterwards, you'll be more likely to just do those kinds of things in the future. Especially if that accomplishment or that reward is better than expected. And that's a summary of about probably 10 years of dopamine research right there. That sentence. If you can make X, better than expected, then you will be accelerating essentially the addiction you have to doing X and your desire for X in the future. So better than expected is always the goal. A colleague of mine always jokes, um, this is why, especially if you do, uh, you know, any kind of client-facing work, customer-facing work, honestly, uh, with maybe the average age of folks that are listening to your podcast, maybe even like going out on dates, it's really about expectations. (laughs) (laughs) So under-promise, over-deliver is like the hashtag here. Under-promise, over-deliver. Because if you do that, the amount of dopamine that people will actually experience, if you are like, ah, the date's going to be like, meh. And then it's like actually way better than you expected. You absolutely are going to guarantee that you're going to want to do that again, whatever it was, whatever X is in this particular case.
0: It's all storytelling, breaking it down, telling ourselves healthier stories about it. It's, it's all just storytelling, right? I think this is, if we have so much power in ourselves to build the perception of our world. And uh, just by the ways we talk about our goals, the way we talk about our tasks, the way we talk about success. Internally and being able to break it down and just say, Yeah, I'm doing my best. <laughs> Sometimes that's it. Um yeah, that's Kev, it's cool. 159. I just <laughs> saw that.
1: Yes. Um, well, it's been such a enlightening. We could talk to you for hours, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Um
0: we lost so much control in this episode.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> love it. it, so we love it. I
0: mean, no, no, I it, was it was amazing. It was yeah. amazing. Like um we love it. I mean. Yeah, so I
1: Yes, Let, let's let's head over to our closing segment. Uh, Suspenders. So we ask you a fun, random question unrelated to anything. Give us any answer you feel like. Question of the day is: What is the most ridiculous thing you've ever bought on impulse? Oh,
2: chickens. Like i bought chicken? a lot of chickens yeah <laughs> um i Wait. once i once bought about uh, 25 baby chicks to raise oh, wow <laughs> what happened with I these maybe that would be like probably the most outlandish i'm like it's not going to be something from amazon i'll tell you that <laughs> it's um Wait, livestock ha-
0: <laughs> where did where did we put these chickens
2: i get it at my parents house i convinced them to yeah <laughs> My dad. You have, you have 25 food.
0: chickens at your parents' house right now. Um,
2: there was an accident, thereof, oh. unfortunately. Yeah, this was. Uh, but we are, in fact, in the process of um, gaining more chickens. Uh, this time it's gonna be 50, so we'll have uh, a healthy, <laughs> healthy, ne- healthy this... number, of ladies in the hen house.
0: Oh my god! This this is amazing, oh, wow. and we're gonna have to do an episode on that. <laughs>
2: When I, by the way, when I was in graduate school, I will say this, when I was in grad school, I used to actually, um, when you come up with an experimental idea and there's no funding behind it yet, right, it's just sort of like very beginning stages. So you're before uh, getting all the protocol set up and getting all of that, you know, uh, it being quote unquote official science. Um, you kind of want to gather some preliminary data to see if you're kind of headed in the right direction. You need to compensate, legally speaking. You need to get people motivated. You just want to like, hey, can you give me an hour of your time? Especially when you're in human science work. I need somebody to come into the lab. I need to do some testing on them for about an hour, maybe two hours. So you're asking for you know two hours of someone's time. Um, so you need to compensate them some way, but you don't yet have funding to compensate them, you know, normal ways so you could pay out of pocket. You know, you could get creative here. I used to compensate people in eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go collect eggs I yeah, thought you were going to say chickens like, <laughs> collect
0: I you
1: corn. were going to yeah, give though, them chickens they like
2: homegrown, you know, like I know these chickens I like feed them myself um, You know, they eat a lot of leftover rice wow. from my parents' house and then I would bring eggs into the lab refrigerator and I had everyone, so for every hour you could earn um, six eggs <laughs> <laughs>
0: i think the the title of this episode has to be i know these chickens <laughs> <laughs> i know these chickens i can vouch for these chickens like they're they're, they're real good stand-up like,
2: like chickens. years ago this was not a really big thing but we've had like egg shortages you know the cost of eggs right egg now? shortage yeah real. like i wish like i was like i yeah. wish i had the chickens now but yeah back in the day this is how old school science was done truly <laughs>
1: That's amazing.
0: I think you're my favorite person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this, oh, this was amazing.
2: Right back at you. I could talk Thank to you, you for so a long much. time too, but this is fun. Maybe we should just do like a quarterly podcast or something. Oh my God. Or like twice a year. Oh my God. Year. Yes. We'll, we'll just see that. where just... the conversation goes. Cause I don't think either one of us, we, yeah, I don't think the three of us can plan for where the heck the conversation is going to lead, but we'll just.
0: I, we tried writing questions. I swear. We We did. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I have them. We can we can come back to them. They will take us years to dissect oh. and, and yes. roll over. There will be meant much there.
0: Let's keep trying. let for years yeah. to come. Let's keep trying for to sure. uh, hit our questions. Well, thank you so much. This was this was actually uh, unbelievably extraordinary. It was so much yes. fun to have you back and kind of reflect on some of the ways we've grown. How much having you on the show has changed the podcast and changed the way we think about the stories we tell ourselves and every time we talk to you uh, i'm left just mulling over amazing things so i really appreciate you i'm happy
2: to happy to be here again yes. it's always a pleasure
0: wow always amazing and super impactful and educational and lovely to talk to dr sahay Yusuf.
1: This has been another episode of the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. If you like our content, make sure to subscribe and follow wherever you listen. Leave us a comment or review to let us know what you're thinking. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at lsptpod, LinkedIn, Linen Suit and Plastic Tie.
0: Remember just to be kind to yourself. We're all fighting and trying to survive. We're doing our best. I love you. Hope you have an amazing rest of your day.